0: me introduce our topic for the next seven weeks, eight including this week, so you don't have to be a mathematician to work that one out. Beautiful surrender, that's what we want to talk about over the next uh, eight weeks, is a life that is completely surrendered uh, to God. This uh, backdrop was done courtesy of of a girl called Cherith Hughes, and she goes to Vibe Church down in Armagh. And, uh, and really what it pictures here is, is the hands of Jesus. Who shows us the ultimate. What the ultimate is in surrender. Um, Philippians 2 tells us that he humbled himself. And he came became obedient. Even obedient to death on a cross. But we read in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 verse 2 that that there was a reason why he did this. Because there was a joy that was set before him. And the joy that was set before him was that we would enter into this kingdom that he has called us to live in. That we would be partakers with him in the kingdom, co-heirs with him. Now, I feel totally unqualified to speak here this morning on surrender. Um, I think of some of the stories that Paul and Linda shared with us last week, the couple from Turkey. I think of two stories, especially one of a girl who, who gave her life to Christ. And because she gave her life to Christ, first of all, her family disowned her. Secondly, her community disowned her. And the third thing was that when she went back to, to her studies in university, she found that there was no place for her because uh, she had, uh, had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. She became uh, a Christian or a believer, a follower of Christ. I think of the other girl that they mentioned. I think it was a girl or a boy, I'm not sure. But they were still in the place of counting the cost of following Christ. We never have to come to that place, thankfully, in this part of the world. Yes, we have to give up one or two things, maybe. But we never... We never. Most of us never have to come to the point where we, we lose our families, our families disown us. We never come to the point where our communities disown us or we never come to the point where we lose maybe our profession or our education, place in education. I think of Ronnie and Carlin as they're, as they're visiting in Albania, especially over the last couple of days. It's 20 years nearly since we made our first visit to Albania to visit a couple called Walter and and Alter, Vol, Arta, sorry, and Achille and Lindita. And, uh, and what they have had to give up, what they've had to surrender, what they've had to give up to follow Christ. I think of Neil and, and Nigel in, in Athens and some of the stories of the lives of the people there and what they've had to, to give up, what they've had to surrender to follow Christ. I think of maybe even some of you sitting in this room. Maybe some of your family members and, and some of, some have had to give up to follow Christ. And so I, in light of all that, David used that word in light uh, on Wednesday night when we're here. In light of all that, I feel a wee bit underqualified to speak on this subject. David and Neil and I were, were trying to um, do better at what we do, as in lead. And so uh, we, we, we uh, are part of this group. It's a learning uh, environment. It's to do with Tobar, which we've mentioned before. And, uh, and so we, we go on a separate night. A some, some, uh, wider group of us go on one night, and then uh, the three of us go on another night. And what we're, we're doing is, is re-looking at the book of Acts, at the early Christians in the book of Acts, and, and we're going to study that and study what, what made them different, what set them apart, and how has the church erred as, as time has gone on. And as I read back through the book of Acts, there's something that really excites me. Uh, um, David talked about being excited in, in worship. But there's something that really excites me about the early Christians and the early church. And this is what excites me. They continued to progress They continued, the church continued to expand. Numbers were added daily uh, in spite of the difficulties they faced. In spite of the hardship, the church continued to prosper. The church continued to push forward. And the church is made up of individuals, of people who push forward, who continue forward in spite of their difficulties. Acts chapter 8, as I read that, I was really really intrigued so 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 people are 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 giving their lives to christ they're giving their all to christ to follow christ this new faith and yet at the same time they're being stripped of their homes they're being dragged out of their homes they're losing all their possessions and being thrown in jail and yet the church never shrinks back it's added to daily there was something within them that drove them forward There was something that within them, deep within them, in spite of their difficulties, they were passionate about. As we look at this beautiful surrender, um, sorry, I thought the title was up there, but it's not. But as we look at beautiful surrender, um, there's two statements that I think I could make. I think I've I've lived long enough uh, as a Christian to make these two statements. First one is for us to be co-heirs with Christ. To be co-heirs with Christ. We must live a life that is surrendered. It has to become a lifestyle. Surrender has to become a lifestyle. And the second thing is that, um, that it's something that we will have to work at to the day we meet Christ or we die or whatever expression you want to put on that. Do we leave this earth or, or re- be reunited with Christ? It's something that we're going to have to work at. We're going to have to surrender our body. It will be our life's work. So it will. Beautiful surrender. Let's just think about this word, surrender. Some of us last Sunday were brave enough to go and watch Kevin wrestling. Uh, 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 and it, it, was, it, was, it was quite good. It, and I, I just have to say this. And I know it's not the thing to do, maybe, on a Sunday. But I, ha- I just wanted to say this. Please pray for Kevin. Just pray for him. Uh, he's out there in the world, and his, he wants to leak the kingdom where he's at. And, uh, and, the, and the man that, or the, the person, the wrestler that he acts or, or, or tries to, he does it so well. And, uh, and there was some wrestling before it, and then Kevin came on with his tag team mate, and they wrestled, and they're so professional. He's really done. he's really done well. And, uh, so just please continue to wrestle. But one of the moves within wrestling is that you, you seize your opponent, you overpower your opponent, you bring them to a place where they need to surrender or submit to you. And so, the, not the biblical, but the dictionary definition of, of, of surrender is to stop wrestling with an opponent or to submit to a higher authority. We need to stop wrestling with the opponent and submit to a higher authority. Some other definitions for the word surrender is to uh, yield to something of greater power or value to relinquish, to sacrifice, to resign, to let go of, to abandon, to leave behind, to give up. But there's one thing about surrender that I have come to discover, this word surrender, is it's an action. It's an action. It's something we have to do. When I became a Christian uh, uh, over 20 years ago, I just want to make this statement I publicly i'm not old but i became a christian 24 25 years ago i'm not one of these people that has the exact time and date but i knew there was a change went on in my life and i'm and back then and, and unfortunately even in some circles today and i'm not on for criticizing other people around us but back then all i was told was uh, i needed to get saved and the simple the simple definition I was given was that if, if you died tonight, where would you go? Would you go to heaven or hell? And so I was preached the gospel. But but and, and the gospel is so foundational and fundamental to our faith. But there is more that needs to be added to that. Now I, I just need to be careful on that because people can take that completely out of context and say you need to add to the gospel. You don't need to add to the gospel, but you need to know that you are saved to something more than just getting a ticket to heaven. When Jesus was here on earth, he never spoke about getting saved. What he spoke about was entering the kingdom, becoming part of the kingdom. And so while the the gospel is part of that message, there's more that people need to hear today. And so I give my life to Christ and, and I had my ticket in my back pocket so when I died I'd go to heaven. But I find myself asking questions because uh because it didn't calculate, it didn't work out for me. So I I'm saved, I've got a ticket in my back pocket, so when I when I die or if I die, I'll be going to heaven. But it didn't calculate for me. Because what was I meant what am I meant to do between now and I die. What, what what's the what's the purpose of my life? If if God's great desire is to have us with Him, in heaven, then why doesn't He just take us now, after the moment we get saved? What's the point in leaving us here on earth? That's the, that's some of the questions that I had. So the conclusion I came to at an early age in life was that that um, I just need to make the best of what I what I had. Get on. And, uh, and just survive until that time that I was going to meet Christ. Around that time was, was also this, the, the big theory that Christ was returning. And I do believe Christ will return soon. But people had it calculated down to a date and time. And so for the next seven years, I needed to, to just hang in there because he was coming in seven years' time. I had no idea what God's plan and purpose was for my life. I had no idea that God actually had a plan and purpose for my life, never mind uh, what it was. And so, unfortunately, in those early years, those impressionable years, I missed out on a lot. But one thing that we were, we were told to do at that uh, was the big thing to do was that when you got saved, because you would have maybe shared your testimony in, in a few places. And, and this is all good stuff. I'm not taken away from this. But one thing was very popular was that you would have a favorite verse anybody remember that anybody uh, uh, just you know there's one verse and i remember i remember getting my favorite verse i can remember the actual moment that i got my favorite verse and my favorite verse was matthew 6 verse 33 and it says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you the problem is I had no idea how that equated to me getting a ticket out of here when I died I had no idea that we were called to something more than just getting our ticket and putting it in our back pocket you see I thought if I asked somebody the questions I might look stupid and uh, as I say, unfortunately, there was nobody there to tell me any different. Let me tell you some of the things that I never heard about as a, as, a, as a young Christian. I never heard about Genesis 1. I heard about Genesis 3, but I never heard about Genesis 1. Genesis 3 is where sin enters. But I never heard that there was a portion before that. I never heard that we were all. Let me emphasize that word, all. We were all made in the image of God. We were all made in the image of God. That just doesn't mean the people sitting in this room or the people that you even like in this room. We were all made in the image of God. I'd never heard that we were made for his pleasure. I'd never heard that we were the climax of his creation. I'd never heard God's uh, design was that we would live in harmony with him, that we would partner with him, And that we would inhabit the earth and prosper and rule over it. I'd never heard that he loved me so much that he quieted over me with singing. Remember the first time that I heard that verse? It's in somewhere. But he quiets over you with singing. I never heard that I had brought him to light. I'd never heard of those famous verses in Psalm 139 which talks about when we were formed together. Before we were even formed together, he was there. He saw it all happening. He was part of it. Never heard about Jeremiah that he has set us apart and called us for a specific task. I'd never heard about the verses on in, uh, again back in Psalm 139 where we're um, fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes we need to emphasize those words that we're wonderfully made. But we are. We're wonderfully made. And we're made in his image. You know some of the other things I never heard? I never heard that. I never heard it preached. I always heard it preached that that we were getting out of here one day. But I'd never heard it preached that one day he's coming back for his bride. His beautiful bride. The church. The body. Not just what's in this room, but the church collectively. And not just the church what's in Northern Ireland or Ireland or the UK, but across the world. He's coming back for his bride. I'd never heard that we would be held responsible for that. Not alone just responsible for our own lives when we meet him, but for his bride. How we treated his bride. Did we treat her? Did we treat her well? Did we care for her? Did we help prepare for his returning? Some of the things I wrote down here as I questioned myself, did we unite her or did we pull her apart with our silly notions and pushing our silly agendas? Did we build her up or did we pull her down with our negative gossip? I could go on on this topic, better not, better just calm down a wee bit. I could go on about that, so he's returning one day he's going to return for his bride, so I thought all i just I just needed to do my best: work as hard as I can, avoid trouble as much as I can, stop sinning as much as I can, so God might actually love me, not realizing. That that's not where the story starts. The story starts way back at the start. Is he created me. And he loves me. Yes we live in a fallen world. But that never stops him loving us. That never changes his opinion of us. So I hope I've painted a good enough picture of what my early 20s looked like. (laughs) I was thinking about this earlier. I've been in enough meetings over the years and as a young person the, the, the preacher would always say he would always say at the end of, of the gospel message he would always say now if you go out of here and you're run over by a bus will you go to heaven or not? The preacher wasn't very observant where I lived. I spent much most of my time either in a farmyard or in a field. There wasn't many buses in farmyards or fields. But I get what they're saying, but there's more to it than just that. I never heard the message of something greater that I could give my life to, that I could surrender my life to. And you know what I think is, I think there's a yearning within us all. I think there's a yearning within us all that we we want to give our lives to something. We're made, we're designed with that yearning that we want to give our lives to something. Not just to have tickets in our back pockets, but that we actually want to know what his kingdom is about now. We want to be part of his kingdom now. In my early 20s, as I said, I started my first business 22 years of age started my first business, and uh, there was two partners in that business. And they were much older than me, even much older than I am today. But one of them lived in Kilkeel, and, and he was a man of God. He was very prophetic. I didn't know much about prophetic, but one day he rang me, and he said, Neville, I just sense there's a struggle going on in your life. This is how powerful prophetic can be. And I said, mm-hmm. And he said, uh, "Would you mind if I shared?" I felt God give me a picture for your life, and I said, "No, that would be great." Thinking this should be good, and uh, and he shared with me over the phone. I can remember where I was, uh, and what I was driving. I can't remember what I was wearing, but I can remember what I was driving. I remember the moment on the road uh, back then. And he said to me, "He said, you know that picture? You know that famous poem?" that we all talk about footprints in the sand. And I'm like, yes, I do, yeah. I know it vaguely. And the writer in that talks about, as he looks back over his life, he sees there's times where there's two sets of footprints and then there's only one set of footprints. And the writer questions and he says, Lord, were you not always with me? Were you not always with me on the journey? And and the response is this. Yes, I was always with you in the journey, but there was times in your journey you weren't able to walk beside me and I had to carry you. It's a beautiful picture of how sometimes in our lives we are so unable to maybe walk that Christ carries us. And so that was the picture in that poem. And uh, I said, oh, that's very good or thought that's very good. Well, he said, the picture I have for you is very similar to the setting But the difference is you're being dragged across the sand, kicking and screaming. Mm. It's only looking back. It's only looking back. I can now see that was a case. Galatians 5 talks about a great battle that goes on within us. There's a great battle that goes on within each one of our lives. It's against the flesh and the spirit. When you get saved... Your, your your spirit man comes alive. But you've still got the old man that you have to battle against. And so uh, as Ivan Wells, some of you know Ivan Wells, he used to be he used to be part of here and now he's part of Armagh Vineyard. And, and he would say, uh, depending on which dog you feed, he always compared them to two dogs in your life, the white dog and the black dog. And whichever dog you feed the most will become the strongest in your life. And so... Um, Looking back on my life at that stage, um, I'd started my first business. But there were some things I thought I knew everything. Twenty-three years of age, I thought I knew everything. I was popular. I had my own business. I was determined to make something of my life. Do you hear the way this flesh speaks? Do you hear it? I was popular. I was determined. That's the way the flesh speaks. But you know what? Inside, I was lost and empty. Lost and empty. It was a huge hole in my life. I had my ticket in my back pocket. I was going to heaven. But in between that, I had no idea what life was about. And I learned a lot of lessons from that point. I learned a lot of hard lessons that I probably wouldn't have had to learn if I had have surrendered my life, my will, my being to God? Why? Why would we surrender our lives to God? One reason is because he has a beautiful plan for our lives. You see, when we surrender, we come into a place of submission. And Sometimes for people to surrender to God, there's an initial price to pay or there's a sacrifice that has to be paid but surrender will bring us to a place of ultimate fulfillment. A place of service that the world will never, ever be able to offer. Around that time, uh, another good friend of mine gave me this book. Um, Derek Laverty. It's a story of Jim Elliott. And uh, and uh, you can get this on film now about his life. And I, I would encourage any young person to read this. But Jim Elliott... Uh, was a young, successful guy in college, went through university, but somewhere in the process, God gripped his heart. He heard about about what it was to live a life, to be a missionary, to give your all for God's kingdom, to sacrifice everything for God's kingdom. And so, him and his uh, four friends went uh, to a remote place in in Ecuador. To, to win a tribe that were barbaric. They wanted to see this tribe won for Christ. And what they did was they sacrificed their lives to do it. They ended up that the tribe came and slaughtered the five missionaries. But the story doesn't end, like, end there, thankfully. The missionaries' wives, Jim, Jim's wife and, and, the, and the other missionaries' wives went back in And won that tribe for Christ. The story doesn't end with a sadness. And today uh, the tribe goes on. Goes on to be missionaries to other parts of the world. He surrendered his life so others could live. And and I would really recommend this book to you uh, if you get time to read it. As I said earlier, I think there's a yearning within us all to have more than just a ticket for heaven in our back pockets but the problem is if that yearning isn't steered in the right direction steered correctly we will seek after the wrong stuff you see that in the church all over the world people seek after the wrong things and at the end i'm going to talk about a few things That is not in surrender. I love the message message translation of uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 28 to 30. It says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion, trying to get your own way? Then Christ says, Come to me, get away with me, uh, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to, to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. And watch how I do it. Does that sound like a life of submission or surrender to Christ? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on you or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and I, and you'll learn how to live freely and light. You see, coming to a place of surrender is one thing. But living in a place of surrender, I have learned, is another thing. That's why I said it's a life commitment. It's a a lifestyle (laughs) that we have to learn to live. I love stories in the Bible. This really brings me back to a place of surrender. I love the the, stories in the Bible like in Luke um, chapter 10 where Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house. He enters a village and he goes to Mary and Martha's house and the two girls are two sisters and Jesus shows the co- comparison between the two sisters. Martha is busy doing all the things. Martha is busy getting all the tidying up done, get preparing the meals. She's busy doing stuff and, and Jesus says, Martha, you see your sister Mary? She's chose a better thing than you have. Because you see, Mary just went and sat at Jesus' feet. Jim Elliot, in that book, writes these words. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. What he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's kind of like that picture of Mary and Martha. Mary knew which was the most valuable thing. And the most valuable thing in surrender is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Not just to surrender to anything, but to surrender at the feet of Jesus. You know, when you go through difficult times in life, there's certain passages in the Bible that sort of are welded to your soul. There's certain verses that, that because of the difficulties or the trials that you faced, there's certain, certain verses that you'll never, ever forget In your whole life. That's been my experience. Some of them are like. For me is Psalm 40 verse 1. It says I waited patiently for the Lord. And and guess what happened. Guess what happened when I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined. He turned his ear to me. Or Psalm 46 verse 10. I could go on with all these verses for ages. But these are just some. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted over all the nations. I will be exalted over all the earth. You know, that translation of being still means that we're to cease from following our own agenda. Stop trusting in our own strength and our own power. And you see, when we stop trusting in our own strength, it's kind of like when we, be- we become weak. Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, see when I'm weak, that's when he makes me strong. Does that look like a place of surrender and some sort of an exchange that happens in that moment of surrender? See, when we wait, when we wait, it's the same thing, that, that word wait. We exchange our strength. We exchange our strength. And take on weakness so that he makes us strong. And there's two, there's two key elements that happen as we wait. One is we become completely dependent on God. And the second thing that happens is that we, we there's a willingness that comes upon us that says he decides the terms. He decides the timing. And he decides the plan. Billy is a great man for praying sometimes, Lord, you're the boss, and I'm not. You're the boss, and I'm not. So surrender is giving up the inward struggle and knowing he is God. Let yourself become weak, knowing that there is one who is all-powerful, watching over you, and he will completely work out all that he has started. Paul goes on to write, as I say, that in Corinthians, he says, this is a daily battle. I fight and discipline my flesh daily to bring it into submission and surrender to God's will and purpose for my life. And so surrender is a lifestyle and is something we will have to fight at to the day we die. Now, as I finish, I want to say just a couple of things that surrender isn't. There's no place in surrender. And then some of the things that I have found surrender to have. Acts chapter 4, as I said, I've been reading through the book of Acts. It says this, kings seek for position and power. And later on in that chapter, it talks about the early Christians. They didn't even claim possession, claim ownership of their own possessions. You see the contrast. You see the contrast. The world goes after position and power. But the early Christians, as we study the book of Acts, didn't even take ownership of their own possessions. They just give away everything they had. They had found something great. So there's no room for, for self-exalted positions within surrender. Luke chapter 9, verse, uh, at the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus, uh, we hear of this story uh, where the disciples are all arguing um, arguing among themselves. Who's going to be the greatest? See, they struggled with this position and power thing, even though they were followers of Christ. It's, unfortunately, our lives are full of it. I stand here and say there's times I have to catch myself on and say it's not about position and power. And so uh, we see that Jesus says to them, he says, basically, catch yourself on. If you want to become the greatest, you have to become the least. You have to serve, you have to do all that. But there's a part of this story that we miss because we have so emphasized on that part. And it's the second part of this story. And it's where John comes to Jesus right after Jesus says this. And he says, Jesus, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. And we stopped him or we tried to stop him because he wasn't one of us. How did Jesus respond to that? I marvel at how Jesus responds to some of these things. He didn't say, well done guys, You need to become part of our group. Before we can recognize what they're doing, he says, Do not stop them. Do not stop them. For whoever is not against me is for me. Do you hear that? And so, uh, within surrender, let me say this that I believe there's no room for prejudice or preconceived ideas, there's no room for pride or power. Jesus condemned that. We all have prejudice that like to pop their heads up. And unfortunately, a lot of what's taught in the church today feeds prejudice. I'm right. And all of a sudden, our chest starts to get a little higher. It gets a little bit more puffed out. And we start to tell people who we are. Jesus said, there's no room for that. There's no room for that in the kingdom. Remember what I said earlier, we're called to unite the bride. We're called to build up the bride. We're not called to pull her apart. We're called to build the body and to help her help her to come to a state where Jesus returns. Pride. Pride is a big issue in our world today. We all struggle with that too. I'm right and you're wrong. My position is right, and I can justify it to the end, but yours is wrong. And Jesus said to them, "Stop that." He said, "Whoever is for me is not against me." I could go on about that for another while, but I better not. Let me end off by saying some of the things that I have found as a beauty in my journey of surrender to God. I'm not fully there yet. I beat my body daily. Well, not daily, but the times when I, I remember that, that I'm not where I should be. But I find found that there's provision when we surrender our lives to God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That is not just a good statement. That is a fact. So there's provision in surrendering to God. There's protection Again, one of those great verses that's welded to my heart is found in Psalms. He says, those who hope in the Lord will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. There's a place of peace. And not just peace as the world gives, but peace that passes all understanding. There's a place of prospering. There's a plan. And most of all, there's presence. Isaiah says these words at a part in his life. He says, you are God. He comes to this place in his life, a place of surrender. And he says, you are God and I am not. Now, David is very good at giving us practical things. He's very good at that. And I really like that when he's speaking. He always leaves us with a practical note. And I want to leave you with this. I find that surrender is not always the place I live in. There's a lot of self still in here. And, uh, and there's times I walk really close with God, but then there's times, I, I've used this expression before, I go off on solo. We're walking together, but I start to take on my own opinions. I take, start to take on my own views. I start to take on my, all these things that the flesh loves and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm a wee bit down the road and I realize he's not with me. I've lost his presence. His presence isn't with me. And I find at those times what I need to do is I need to come back and kneel before him and surrender. That's a very personal thing to me. There's many mornings I wake in early and the day might have a lot of obstacles in its way. And what I find I do is, is, it's not so much maybe in the last couple of weeks because we have a wee man and a wee woman who wake in earlier than us normally. But what I find I need to do, what I've learned to do, a habit I have learned, is slip out at the side of my bed, by my knees and surrender. And say, God you're in control of today i'm not i'm sorry for all the preconceived ideas that i've had all the all the, the silly notions that i've had but lord i'm trusting you with today and so out of that comes god always meets me that's my that's my testimony god has always met me maybe not in the way that i thought he would but he has and he does He always meets us in that place of surrender. Maybe today, maybe today you need provision. Maybe today you need some element of protection. I say that with the mind that maybe your mind needs protection. Maybe there's thoughts all over the place and you just need God to somehow take hold of those. And stop allowing them to dictate how your life or how your day is going to be. Maybe you need peace in the midst of a storm that you're in at the minute. Maybe there's just storms brewing within you. And you're not living in that place of freedom that we talked about. That place where where everything, uh, where it's easier than where we are now. Maybe you feel as if your life is doing nothing like what my life was at the start of my walk, because I had no idea that God had a plan for me—a plan for me to prosper—or maybe, maybe because of just some of the, the silly notions that you've allowed overtake your mind at the minute, you've lost His presence. See, His presence is the most valuable. Everything else is great, but it's His presence. That we were all designed for. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. But I feel this prayer is important. I really do. Really feel it's important. Because I sense that there's. I sense two things. One is that there's troubled souls. And second thing I sense is that. People. People have lost his presence because they've allowed other things in. And my my prayers are simple. When I'm on my own, my prayers are simple. I get down on my knee or my knees and say, Lord, I surrender to you. Man has man and woman and people and everything else have all their own opinions. But I surrender to you. And when I say I surrender to you, I mean I surrender to his word. See, his word and him are never separated. They're never separated. But I also surrender to the fact that God, you are God, and you can do as you please. I'm not going to put you in a box. And so, is it okay if we pray? And just do that and then David and the team is going to come.